Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. 2.20 is the time in the KSL newsroom. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Live Mike. We are right now continuing our daily segment, Eye on the Hill 2021. The theme this week has been uh, introductory. We have been uh, creating opportunities for you to get to know some of the uh, newer lawmakers on Utah's Capitol Hill, some uh, legislators who uh, in a few short days will be commencing their duties as either representatives or senators at the state level uh, for the very first time. And today's conversation continues with uh, Representative Doug Welton, uh, who joins us now. Sir, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. I'm, I'm glad to uh, to have you on the air here. Why don't we uh, start very basically and introduce yourself to the audience, please? Yeah. Uh, my name is Doug Welton. I represent the areas of Elk Ridge, Patience, Santa Quinn, uh, Goshen, Genola, uh, Cedar Valley, Cedar Fort. Um, I also am an educator. I teach high school at Salem Hills High School, and I have been on Patience City Council, and we changing hats from city council to state legislator. Talk, talk um, to me about that transition. Okay. T- talk to me about that transition. Um, you, you Five years you've spent uh, on the city council. Uh, you, you're making your way now to, to your first legislative session. What do you anticipate bringing with you that you learn as a councilman uh, to the legislative session? Well, I, I think one of the things that I found out earlier on is that there's a lot of moving parts, and sometimes solutions aren't as easy as they seem. Sometimes they're easier than they seem, but there's there's a lot of moving parts that are interconnected, and, and I think a good legislator, decision maker, is, is someone who's able to sit down and look at everything and try to, to weigh out all the different ramifications of changing this ordinance or this mm-hmm. uh, this code or what happens when you, you bring business in or um, – there's a lot of things that people don't necessarily see, yeah. um, which kind of is the nature of a representative government as well, too. We, we're asking people to spend a little bit more time looking at those details. A, a lot of it is boring. A lot of it doesn't quite make the headlines. A lot of it is done uh, late at night Absolutely. with an intern or two by your side. Uh, working through uh, you know this little quirk in statute or where this technical adjustment needs to be made uh, it, it's a very true principle uh, and you know and, and honestly folks like me are guilty because uh, you know we kind of latch on to the stuff that makes headlines or, or is controversial when sure, the, sure. the real work and the real bulk of what happens 
uh, up during the legislative session is stuff that happens in, in you know, uh, with legislators by themselves on the horn with uh, ledge council or ledge research, and uh, you churn through stuff. And so I, I admire that that uh, that recognition, you know, knowing that uh, that in fact much will happen in those settings. So thank you. Could I could I go backwards yeah. a little bit? I want to talk to you. You mentioned uh, you are a, a teacher, a teacher at Salem Hills High School. Uh, I I have been kind of having an ongoing conversation with various folks over the past few days about the events of the last week and how they are discussed in the classroom. What uh, what have you learned or what would you advise when it comes to, uh, say, addressing uh, the, you know, the unrest at the Capitol of last week, the uh, second impeachment of, of a sitting president in one term? How, how are those issues best handled, especially when teaching current events? Yeah, so that that's an interesting point, because I think a lot of classes really are not appropriate to discuss those things. I mean, granted, at the high school level, kids are, are on the cusp of adulthood, and they have questions that they want answered, and we, we can answer questions, but there's always the the, the, the concern that, that K-12 teachers are, are indoctrinating students, so yeah. to speak. And so I think there's a there's a time and a place, but with, with current issues, like we have the ability to, to talk about what's happening, and this whole semester has been a completely different current issues course than I've ever taught before because we've had the the Black Lives Matter protests in the summer. We've had uh, the COVID-19, the debates over masks, the lockdowns. You've got a a second impeachment, well, two impeachments of a president. And so it's interesting. It's fascinating. Um, In my class, what I put in my disclosure and what I tell parents and what I tell students, that my job is to play devil's advocate and I just want kids to think and um, think more globally and try to to analyze the entire picture. I, you mentioned parents. I, I imagine that. Uh, well, well, first off, I just the other day I, I put the question up uh, on one of my social media outlets, and it was uh, very simply: uh, How would you? What would you be comfortable? Uh, uh, knowing your ch- your child was learning in the classroom regarding uh, last Wednesday and, and the impeachment. And the overwhelming response, which I found surprising, was that the classroom is no place for something like that. Now, I, I interpreted uh, those responses to mean that, uh, you know, kind of getting back to what you said, there ought not be indoctrination, the, you know, the personal beliefs of the teacher ought not be, uh, you know, shared with the student uh, necessarily. H- how do you how do you handle that? I, I imagine that you've been on the receiving end of phone calls like that, where uh, you know, regardless of how careful you are about sticking to the objective realities and processes and events as they transpire, I, I imagine a- at least a handful of parents have, over your career, reached out and said, "Hey, hey, hey, that's not your place. I'll teach that at home. You stay out of it." Yeah, you, you know, surprisingly, I haven't had any phone calls. Um, I teach current issues and debate, and it comes up in a little, a little bit in debate as well, too. But I think it's the nature of an elective class, and and parents understand that those discussions are, are going to take place. And so I haven't had it, and I kind of consider it a badge of honor. We we uh, at some point in time we have the students take a political typology test where they go through the Pew Research Center and answer a bunch of questions, and then we also do the I side with quiz. And kind of like kids say, all right, let's let's put parties aside and preconceived notions. What are the issues that you line up with? And I have them fill out a questionnaire that's where they are, where their parents are. Mm. And then I throw in one that says, where do you think Mr. Welton lies and give me some evidence? Wow. And every single time I have students 
uh, anywhere from far left to far right and everything in between. That, that's got to so be a success. That's, I, that's I, a mission accomplished, right? Right, right. So I, I, I think that, that they can't pin me down, uh, I believe, means that I'm doing a good job in, in just trying to get them to engage in ideas that are happening in the world. Outstanding. Uh, we're speaking with newly elected Representative Doug Welton, represents uh, a portion of Utah District 67, a Republican uh, teacher uh, about to embark on his first session as a legislator. Uh, we've got about 90 seconds left. Legislative priorities, first uh, bill to introduce. So what are you up to on that front? Yeah, so the, the first bill I'm looking at is the nurse practitioner's bill. Um, it is a bill to allow our nurse practitioners to, to practice to the, high, the highest level of their um, mm. their licensing. Sure. And Utah doesn't quite let them to practice to the highest level. There are certain issues where they, they have to have a doctor on file or on retainer in order to get signatures to, to prescribe certain medications. And it just seems like a, a bureaucracy that is not necessarily needed or um, necessarily helpful. And so I think it'll help us provide better health care um, to the to the public. And uh, certainly our, our health care system is being taxed right now. So I think that's important. What, what are some other, I'm, let me I'm ask you a quick question oh, first ahead. before we go on. Uh, in, in terms of what, you know, these health care providers have been trained to do, uh, what's within their skill set that they're not able to practice that this legislation might uh, allow them to? Yeah, so the biggest question is uh, like pain medication. And so obviously there's a concern with uh, opioid prescriptions. Um, we've, we've had them overprescribed. Um, but nurse practitioners are allowed to have pain clinics and they can prescribe, but they have to have a doctor who's not there sign up on the mm. prescription. And, it, you know, so that's really what we're looking at. And that is a concern that to make sure that we don't have too many opioids. There's, there's some research and some discussion to have on this issue. Sure. Um, but our nurse practitioners do a great job, and they, they're trained, they're licensed. They, um, sure. Ultimately, well, they haven't been the ones who have also overprescribed opioids either. So, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that debate. Listen, Representative, I hate to do this to you, but I have to cut the conversation short. we got to get to the newscast and, and move on here with the program. But I very much enjoyed... Uh, the, the conversation. It's been a pleasure meeting you. It's been a pleasure hearing about your insight in the classroom and as you look forward to your first legislative session where your priorities are. Thanks again for the conversation. I look forward to many more. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. We're going to take a, a quick break right now. And when we return yesterday, I was I was hung up on that topic of how do we communicate right now? And what is it that you and I can do? Uh, We probably can't put too much faith in Congress or in the government to bring us all together. The responsibility falls all the way down onto our shoulders. And if that is the case, what can we do? My recommendation yesterday was to reach out to someone. Reach out to someone with whom you've had a relationship for years, and yet for some reason, in recent times, politics have driven you apart. Rebuild that bridge. I had a phone call with an old friend of mine. I'll tell you how it went next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. 
find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.